Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Massive race that was, and you know, coming into the the summer break, we finally get some exciting racing, and now we've got to wait for it. Yeah, that's why um, our F1 Hungary podcast is coming out a week later uh, intentionally because you guys are probably a bit starved for information, being a bit of a break, so we can go through a lot of the developments that have happened through the break so far, and also touch up on what an exciting race it was. Yeah, and um, the first thing we probably want to go through is um, Jules Bianchi. Um, Unfortunately, he lost his uh, his ongoing struggle yep. uh, after that particularly nasty crash. Um, yeah, well, they had his funeral during the week, so this was sort of the emotional um, race for for the drivers who all attended. And uh, I think they retired Jules' number as well. Yeah, apparently. so 17. the first first number to be retired. Um, yeah, so this was more sort of an appreciation for Jules. And, and no matter who won it, it was always going to be that sort of grid where, um, you know, it's the things that are more important than um, racing that come come to the fore. And I'll tell you what, they put on a show for him. Yeah, um, exactly. It was utterly spectacular. And you know, during the, uh, the build-up and everything, Jules was very much in the forefront of it, especially saying how you'll never know what he could have been. Yeah. Um, that's the unfortunate part. We, we might have lost a next, you know, triple world champion. Yeah. Because he was one of those talents, and he was earmarked to come through Ferrari. And who's to say he couldn't have? But I think it was uh, quite touching the the amount of respect he was held in uh, by commentators, by racers, by his competitors. And ultimately, that's what decides what a champion is. It's the the views of your peers. They can hate you or they like if they respect you on the track. Yeah, and um, you could see the emotion on the sort of the younger people on the grid, the younger guys on the grid who. Had come through the ranks sort of the same time. I know Ricardo was pretty emotional. He, I think he teammate with him down at Manor for a while there. Yeah, he um, he also went through the junior grades with him a bit. Uh, I think they said they actually roomed together at one stage. But, um, well, yeah, we just wanted to pay respects to Jules at the start. And, uh, yeah, I hope the, family, the family's paid a massive price through motorsport. Yeah. Um, I just hope they're able to get themselves together and keep living i think it's just sort of it's um i mean sort of making the best of a bad situation with uh schumacher having an incident before that and mm. being in a coma for a while and uh Bian- bianchi's parents were saying that they actually had a conversation with him about what would happen if you're in that position yeah and yeah i did i did see that he said if i can't race i'd rather die yeah and um his, his dad was saying that it was what a year he yeah. was in that uh that coma yeah and things weren't getting any better he but uh yeah it's just fortunate they had that conversation to say that, you know... Yeah, he had a bit of closure. Sort of, yeah, his dad won't be going to bed feeling 
guilty about that choice, but that he knows that's what Jules would have wanted. Exactly. Yep. Fucking tragic. But anyway, a brilliant race to uh, sort of pay homage to, to Jules. Definitely in the, his sort of spirit of racing. Yeah, to me, that was the, the best possible tribute, was putting on a fantastic race. Yep. And they absolutely did that on a, on a track that hasn't been traditionally known um, as a, a fantastic racetrack. But uh, since they've moved it to the, the hotter seasons, Jesus had some good races. Yeah, and especially um, on the... The few chances, chances we actually saw Jules be able to really put his foot down and do some overtaking in Formula One was Monaco, where just put his elbows out wide and put on some really good overtaking moves. And we saw a lot of sort of similar spirited moves in this race. Some crossed it a bit, but so we want to see. Oh, it was balls to the wall racing. And look, some people, uh, well, fuck it, let's say Mercedes couldn't see the <laughs> the the championship for the trees kind of thing. They uh, they were fighting over minor places when they should have been looking to the long haul, but uh, we'll go through that a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> strangely enough, it started off with an aborted start, which is, uh, I gl- I'm glad the commentators were able to let everyone know what the flashing yellow and red meant. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it was here and not America because... Oh, yeah, they would have said that there was a bomb or something and there was a oh, terrorist no, attack. Down in Texas, not big fans of abortions. <laughs> the Christian right comes storming out of the pit lane. <laughs> Don't but, take our start. But the, the thing is... Um, what I think the effect of that was was the right to grid. <laughs> um, the right, yeah, what happened was it allowed the Mercedes tyres, especially Hamilton, that to cool when the brakes to cool. Which I mean, heat heating their tyres has always been um, a factor, whether it be too much or not enough. So, yeah, and it, the thing with that too, they they do uh, several burnouts on the way in and everything. Yeah. But each one of those burnouts does strip a bit of the tyre. Mm. So, all right, they they do that. They get in their spot, get ready to go. And then to be told to go around again, they have to do exactly the same again. More burnouts. More so I wonder how many laps out of that tyre those burnouts take. Yeah, yeah. Because I suppose some people do them more spiritually than others. Lots of people, yeah. you see someone, some always doing crab walks down, down yeah. the grid. Well, it, te- it tends to be the guys at the front have to do a little bit more because they need more heat to last longer until the race goes because yeah. the guys at the back is pretty much pulling up and going again. Yeah. Um, so I just I did wonder about that. The temperature, uh, the, the available traction. Yep. I guess the extra burnout in the pit box would give them a bit more traction. Yeah. Because I mean, like a drag race, you know, they do burnouts and come back over the line. Yeah. Um, but then again, it's a, a full probably minute uh, minute and three quarters to two minutes before they get back in line. That's so it. who knows really. But uh, unfortunately, Massa was the bloke who <laughs> stopped short. Yeah. It's not often you see that happen. It's worth like He had the, uh, the rolling start a while back too, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's been known just to fall a bit short. Massa's just had the shittiest luck. In the last, uh, yeah. well, let's say since uh, Hamilton got the uh, WDC <laughs> off him. And you could say an unlucky bloke, he still finished second in the championship that year, but he finished yeah. second by a fucking corner. And there was everything else in that season that happened to him as well, which yeah. he should have had wrapped up. Um, way oh, the poor motherfucker. But um, he's one of the most talented blokes that just hasn't quite got there. Speaking of angry, it was a pretty angry start. Um, we saw uh, the first corner had the usual sort of fireworks. Bottas uh, managed to kind of Mount Ricardo a little bit. Um, Ricardo spent a fair bit of time <laughs> fucking around in that first corner. Yeah, well, it's just a matter of trying to get through there unscathed and set mm. up sort of... Because um, it's all going to be a shambles in there, but going into turn two is where you can really set up for a little bit extra of a straight and then you'll sort of um, jostle for your positions uh, down there, I think. Yeah, it, um, it it did seem like that was just first corner start. Um, yeah. Bottas and Ricardo. Neither... You can't keep track of uh, 20 cars around you, plus your track position, plus, you know, gear changes and revs and everything. Like, 
there's always going to be a bit of chaos. And in this instance, those two came together. Fortunately, there was no real damage to either car. Um, yeah. But uh, I'll tell you what, Red Bull have done a lot of work to their uh, car reliability because that motherfucker just took a whacking. I tell you, I reckon it's made up of just leftover black boxes or something. <laughs> just Nokia just phones. Save some cash. Yeah. It's <laughs> Nokia 3210s. That's what they all went to. <laughs> they made, yeah, Red Bull uh, barge boards. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a race incident. You know, they're both uh, two capable drivers. Um, two that tend to stay out of trouble when they can as well, and they know how their way around sort of loose cars. Yeah, the the funny part was, I think it was two corners later, uh, Hamilton puts his rears outside. Claims uh, Nico pushed him wide, but uh, <laughs> he reckons he going to make made two movements. <laughs> yeah, nah, I, not even close. Look, uh, I'd I'd absolutely be the first to say that Nico is a loose motherfucking cannon. Yeah. But no, in this case, that was pretty much Lewis just uh, fucking up. Just getting too ahead of himself there. I think he's forgotten what it's like to actually be sat back in the crowd and, and have to have a strategy that goes over a whole race. Well, yeah, because well, you know, that, that's been the criticism of Hamilton, uh, Vettel, and a lot of guys who have a lot of open air in front of them. Um, they're great when they've got the open air, but yeah. uh, as soon as they're trying to get around someone, their passing isn't brilliant. I thought Hamilton had some nice passes um, today. Yeah, some shit-ass attempts as well, though. He did have some and wandering ones. The Merck just looked horrible in a crowd, and that could have been set-up issues because they probably didn't expect to be down there. But, I mean, also, you, you're fighting cars that really have no business fighting you regardless of the setup. Yeah, yeah. It was actually the first time I've seen a race where you, you just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. The podium wasn't decided until, well, probably about two laps out when uh, Ricardo and Rosberg came together, but uh, it was still exciting to watch. You still were wondering, you know, are they going to come through and catch the leaders? Are the leaders going to fall back? How the fuck is Raikkonen getting so fucking unlucky all the time? Well, especially with um, Lewis going off at the start and slipping back to 11th, that sort of really, you knew there was going to be on for Young and All in that race from the start. Mm. So it wasn't like a bit of a procession and then there was a mistake at the end and then stuff started happening. Right from the get-go, you knew, all right, this is going to be on for Young and All. Well, with that first corner as well, you saw Kvyat come in with a four-wheel lock-up. Uh, that, they're just plumes of white smoke. He did the big dive on the inside. Yeah. Um, and you heard a, a couple of laps later when he's talking like a Dalek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had that in the intro, that clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, my tyres are vibrating. Yeah, it'll be an intro if I can be fucked on it <laughs> after we've recorded this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then we saw uh, Rosberg decide to try and push Kimi Raikkonen off the track. Yeah. Uh, that was never going to work. No. Um, Kimi would literally rather crash out than look weak. And to it, a bloke like Rosberg. Yeah, and it's just in general, you're not going to let someone push you around uh, that, sort, that sort of way. And, yeah, especially not someone like Kimi Raikkonen. He's not going to move. He's in a Ferrari for starters. Well, yeah, and that, to me, is sort of indicative of Rosberg's driving style. Yeah. Um, yep. Fuck, I'm going to lay the boots into him. <laughs> uh, he doesn't know how to race in a pack. Yeah. And, look, yeah. He, hasn't, he hasn't had to with Mercedes a lot. But um, once now that we're seeing uh, other teams catch up, yep. we're seeing that Nico is struggling. Well, I think he's he's definitely got pace. He's definitely a quick driver. Oh, absolutely, but, absolutely. But he's not a smart driver. No. Uh, he should have come away with a fuckload of points out of Hamilton's lead. Oh, he should have won the race. There's no two, no two ways about it. Like, in the position he was, he just uh, made real-time uh, errors of judgment. And obviously, the obvious one is staying on the um, prime tyre instead of going on the faster option and, and trying to attack people in front of you instead of trying to conserve the gap to Lewis behind because you're already ahead of Lewis. The only way to get more ahead is attack people in front of you. You can't stop whether Lewis overtakes people behind him. So forget about Lewis's door and just go, what's my quickest race? And it was definitely had to be the pro- uh, option tyre 
yellow stripes for the, for the last stint. Mm. And that's what got him caught up and amongst all the pack. I think he had a prior opportunity when the safety car came out. But yeah, just not, not terribly intelligent on the on the racing strategy side of things. No, but but even um, with the Ricardo incident, you've got a bloke who's... He should have walked away probably taking 10 points out of Hamilton's lead. Yeah. Instead, he lost four. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll get into that once we get further into the race bit. Yeah. Well, actually, on the Mercs, you could see like that that restart, your border start, did hurt him. Um, I think it was from, might have been Hamilton's on board, where you can see both Mercs locking up their front brakes at the first couple of corners, um, both pinched yeah. there. So, definitely uh, too cold. Yeah. Um, they would have to have a plan for an aborted start. There's just no possibility that uh, a team, especially a team like Mercedes, hasn't thought of every possible uh, outcome that they can potentially happen. Yeah, that's true. It's just a matter of um, whether it's feasible to be able to do it. I mean, because if tire, a tire and brake temperature sort of retaining them from the get-go is, is hard or sort of building them up, um, one solution might uh, not be practical for all the other times there's not sort of a border start. So, I mean, you never really know. Uh, there's so much of a mystery with, with those sort of fine-tuning setups as well that they're not going to tell you and it's hard for us to really find out unless we're on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, after the first lap uh, hijinks, it got some uh, pretty nice racing. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, really good racing. I think the tired track with less straights really sort of bunched up the, the crowd a bit. Yeah, um, Maldonado managed to find uh, another way to hit a car. Oh, <laughs> I tell you what, Genie, Genie Capital, this is the worst fucking investment ever, is getting Maldonado in there. Oh, geez. I did see uh, Maldonado uh, did a presser where he lamented the lack of upgrades with... Uh, Renault, yeah. uh, sorry, uh, Lotus. I think that's just because they're flat out replacing the parts, let alone improving them. <laughs> yeah, like it, they're flat out like finding enough carbon to build more cars. <laughs> <laughs> just get that loads on the track. Motherfuckers flew more carbon than a coal plant. I reckon maybe he's, you know his old man's got some sort of investment in a carbon building company. Uh, See what he's making his money back contracts. Then. Yeah, so kind of like like what politicians do with war. Do you reckon they'll just put bumpers around his car? Yeah, they'll put like you know the. Um, Balloons like in Mario Kart when you're playing multiplayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah those are all right. That's one warning. That's one warning, Pasta. Jeez, that. Mu- then all three balloons gone. You're out of the race. Imagine if you were just like uh, having a, a basic Sunday drive. You look over and there's Pasta Maldonado next to you. Surely you just pull off the road and go, Nah, fuck it. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going anywhere now. I'm yeah. just chilling. Or you just try and follow him with a dash cam or something. You're like <laughs> I've definitely got 10 million hits coming on YouTube at some point today. <laughs> this motherfucker's ended up in a tree. <laughs> yep. Uh, I also I saw that the I think it was Alan Perme. Is he the one that? Lotus, I can't remember, um, came out and said that they're expecting big things from Maldonado in the last half of the season. Yeah, crash repair, Bill. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of putting the, the pressure on him intentionally, so then it's uh, a lot easier to sack him afterwards. But it, he seems the sort of bloke that uh, when the pressure's on, he gets excited. When he gets excited, he feels like uh, he's entitled to do this sort of stupid shit. Yeah, and I mean, that sort of craziness just tends to pull together once in a while, and I think that once in a while was that win at Williams, and... Uh, He's kind of been got a lot further off that one win than most people. A lot further than what Kyvalina did with the McLaren. So, well, yeah. I mean, we're in round ten, and he's had two finishes. Um, well, <laughs> I know six uh, DNFs in a row. Fucking hell! Like, that's that's not bad luck. Eventually, you've got to say I might be contributing to this. Yeah, he's, he's almost got like an MMA record. It's like <laughs> one win, um, six KOs, uh, pretty much couple of decisions just to say, fuck it, mate. Come in and retire the car. Yeah, I mean, he just seems to want to go faster than a 17-year-old over his prom date's dress. Who knows? But um, 
I I don't think he belongs there. <laughs> I think he should fuck off somewhere else. Well, like we've said before, he he hit a marshal and a double wave yellows and broke his back at Monaco in GP2, and he got banned there for life until his old man gave him a fuck ton of cash, and then he went, oh, you can drive again now. Yeah, because Monaco. Yeah, exactly. But still, that's some fucked up shit. I mean, that was in GP2. Yeah. Speaking of GP2 drivers who come through, um, when we were watching the race, I did notice Ricardo on his uh, exits when he was on the the prime tyre. Yep. Uh, eggs in the corner, he was doing a bit of a Scandinavian flick. And I I just did wonder whether that was his way of trying to get that little bit of extra turn while the wheels are still spinning up. If so, I reckon that's just an amazing talent. Yeah. I, I don't follow. No, nah, nah, <laughs> totally doing it. I'm, uh, I'm claiming that's what's going on. Um, I'll try and explain without using any visual medium because we don't have any. Um, when you're doing a, a, a drift, um, a rally flick if you like, coming into a corner, flick hard and hard away from the corner and then in to brake rear traction. What it looked like he was doing was on the exit of the corner, flicking back into the corner slightly to brake rear traction and then as the car straightened up to correct, he'd floor it and it would go straight, having turned a little bit tighter and also with a lot more acceleration the gears being up rather than having to get bogged down to lower gears. Um, it was tearing the tyres up, but that was a set that he was pretty much ready to dump anyway. Yeah, see, I don't think there'll be a quicker way around. I think as a general, not a, a fast, said fast rule, but generally if you're losing traction, then you're losing time. And especially the Red Bull that's supposed to be aerodynamically sound, I think he's just trying to find, find a limit around those corners with um, Hamilton breathing down his neck. Um, but then again, what yeah, the fuck do I know? I can see why you'd say that, but uh, I'm going to disagree solely because if I'm right, it makes me look like a genius. And I mean, if, if I go one way, you go the other, then we've got like <laughs> almost 100% chance of one of us being right. So we can claim that shit coming out of out of our podcast. All right. So uh, Danny Rick, if, you, uh, if you're a listener, can you hit us up at, uh, at Clicking Balls Well, the one on thing Twitter that, one thing that actually that, that, that would support your theory, which I still don't agree with, but is that when he was on Top Gear and he did um, the F1 star on a reasonably priced car, on the second last corner, is it Gambon second last corner or whatever it was, it seemed like he actually did that where he flicked it out a bit and to get a better exit off of the second last corner and into the last corner. But I mean, that's in a fucking Kia. There you go. <laughs> Proven I'm right. I'm absolutely right. So, um, you know, but... Uh, we need a PR, new PR agent. <laughs> We're there. We've got you covered both ways. Yep. But, um, oh, we were mentioning too, Verstappen. Brilliant, yep. brilliant drive from him all day. Um, yep. You were just saying that he's only just taken his regular peace test. Yeah, I, th- I think he sat it like a couple of days after the Hungry Race. How would you fucking feel if you were the driving instructor? Like you sit down and it's like, uh, hello, you know. And yeah. uh, here's Max Verstappen. I really hope he turned up in his um, Toro Rosso racing suit. Yeah, well... You, you know, you know, you're probably going to pass when the instructor comes in with like a selfie stick and records the whole thing. <laughs> I, I just hope that the instructor had no idea because let's be some old angry fucking German lady or something like that, <laughs> just fat and sweating in the passenger seat. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Michael Schumacher? You may begin. No, I'm faster than him. But um, if a kid came into your driver's class and said, "I'm a Formula One driver," you'd say, "Fucking shut the fuck up." That's bullshit. So, mate, I hear that every fucking day. <laughs> every day. Oh, you know, I've just come back from the track. It's like oh, yeah. me when I work at the casino and people coming in. I can count cards, you know. Yeah. Good so, luck. Yeah. <laughs> but um, oh, uh, I, I assume he passed. I mean, geez, you'd be hard pressed to fail a Formula yeah. One driver. Yep. You can stop. Yep. You know what the green light means? Yep. All right, job done. See ya. Yeah. Oh, nothing more I can teach you. <laughs> but um, yeah, the 
back to the race. It went through pretty well. I did see uh, the, the bigger incident, obviously, was lap 43, Hockenberg's wing. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, I think it was, I mean, obviously it's a very bad accident to have, but I think he was lucky that kind of the wing disintegrated as much as it did because if it just got stuck un- underneath him and um, put it's his lucky. two front wheels in the air, then he wouldn't be able to use those for braking. It's lucky it happened in the straight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, once the, it got underneath him, it sort of disintegrated, but he, you see his front wheels slam back down again and, and mm. help him brake. If that doesn't happen, then that's a lot more nasty incident. Well, yeah, it was just the uh, horizontal wing portion. So you imagine that it's the... The pylons, yeah, sort of the main plane kind of thing. The yeah. pylons that had died. Uh, if it had have been the whole nose, then uh, I can't remember who it happened to before. It might have even it's been Grosjean. People. But um, the whole uh, nose dropped and it just stuck under the wheels and the wheels are pointing up in the air. Yeah. And then you're a passenger and you can't even see where you're going, so you're just hoping you don't die. Yeah, you can't turn, can't brake. No, and as it was, you so saw... kind of like Maldonado, really. <laughs> pretty much. As it was, you saw the, the thing disintegrate and Kavir gets showered in... Um, Carbon fiber somehow yeah. manages not to die or get shredded or whatever. He did an excellent job getting out of the way because there was a, like that main plane came out the other side and oh, could have yeah. really done some damage to his car. Or done some damage to him. Actually, then again, probably done nothing to that Toro Rosso, uh, that Red Bull we saw what it sort of went through with Ricardo's <laughs> car. Yeah, those fucking things are tanks. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just one of those random ass things. And look, it only happened to Hulkenberg, it didn't happen to the other car. So, yeah. you know, maybe it's just. You get a little bit of a, a knock during the opening lap, and uh, the front wing gets pushed sideways, and it yeah. compromises the structural integrity of the pylons. And actually, I think Perez got got smacked into by Maldonado as well, and, and his car held up fine. So oh, yeah, just, into just by a little, little fold on Hulkenberg. And speaking of Hulkenberg, uh, we talk about that now. We'll go into that afterwards. Yeah, we'll go into that afterwards. Right. Uh, you know, Hulkenberg's uh, his life's looking up. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it, it was just crazy to see that, and you see. Him, the best part about it, though, if there can be a best part, is that he goes smashing fair into that wall after having a four-wheel lock-up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the uh, marshal comes across, has a quick look, pulls the steering wheel out, gives a thumbs up, yep. and he's fine. He's walking away, you know, may not even have a headache. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it looks like with this uh, track as well, a lot more of the windy stuff, and so you'll spend a lot more time riding the curbs, and mm. it will test a lot of the... Um, sort of construction of your front front end and your suspension. And we saw that happen with Raikkonen as well. Uh, going into one of the curbs, it's actually front-mounted camera come flying off. Yeah, at, yeah, that's right. And uh, he's, he's reporting back saying, uh, something's wrong with the, with the front wing, something's come off. And they're like, nah, it looks all good. Must just be a little part. And he's like, no, no, it's a big part. It's a big part. <laughs> yeah, I think they wouldn't have realized what it was until the uh, the commentary team actually said what it was when they sl- showed the slow-mos. Because yeah. you imagine... With the uh, wing being so complex, they would yep. have had to zoom right in and be like, oh, no, that, that's there, that's there, that's there. Yeah. yeah, it's all there. What the fuck, Kimmy? And then Kimmy's like, no, it's a big part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just before the crash, the safety car, Rosberg was on the on the phone yep. and he was talking to his uh, pit and they were saying, what uh, tyre is Hamilton going for? And apparently Hamilton reckons he was going with the prime a second time. And so Rosberg's like, all right, I'm going with the prime then. Yeah. Like, you sure? Because the option's faster and you'll be better off with that. No, I'm yeah. having the same as Lewis. Yeah, he's like, no one of the people all agrees with this. Yes. Uh, everyone disagreed, but uh, apparently Nico doesn't trust anyone on the pit wall, so he decided, no, I'm going with the prime. And he did. Yeah. And Lewis then decided, all right, fuck you, I'm going with the option. <laughs> Turns out the pit wall was right. <laughs> yeah, who'd have fucking thought that? Yeah. But, uh, well, anyway, once the safety guard comes out, they all go in. Um, Nico gets his wish and gets the prime. Yep. 
and he gets out of there and uh, looked pretty pretty fucking stupid. But oh. um, it was it was good to see that they cleaned the track up. Uh, the virtual safety car was never going to be an option, really. I don't no. know why they called that first, because with that amount of carbon fibre over the place, it was just stupid. Uh, I, I yeah. like the idea of the virtual safety car, Yep. but the practicality of it is just not in that situation. It's best if there's just like a one-lap issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and one of the other interesting things was because that happened sort of down the main straight, um, once they were on their pits, they actually ran the cars through the, the pits instead of going down the straight just so they could clean up that little carbon fiber mm. mess. Yeah. And um, one of the really good things about that is that all the F1 photographers and all the team photographers are all out in the pit lane because you can't actually, <laughs> you can't actually do a pit stop. And so it's just like a free for all for all the photographers to get real close and get uh, all the, the sort of shots. race spec spy shots. <laughs> so if you check out F1 Technical or even Sutton Images or people like that, they've got some amazing photos of the cars, especially where a lot of updates were brought um, aerodynamically for this race. Well, yeah, because they're driving slow, close, yep. and you can get the super high res shots. So, yep. uh, and it's in, all in race trim as well. So. Yeah, and look, I can't understand half of what I'm seeing, but it looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's it. Like whenever I see that, I just usually go to F1 Technical. They got some fucking geniuses on those forums, and they'll debate it all over and tell you which way and why, and they'll provide all the CFD drawings of how it works and why it works, and it's quite incredible, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't put any of those on my Lancer, but uh, no, well, I'll give it a try. Hey, look, I can pretend I know what I'm talking about with that stuff for for a fair while. <laughs> <laughs> all I know is with Japanese cars, the bigger rear wing, the, the faster it goes somehow. Somehow, yeah, the more yeah. downforce, the faster. Yep. Um, yeah. But anyway, the the restart was entertaining. Yeah. Um, Hamilton decided to try and go through Ricardo, and I, I don't think that was intentional by any means. It was just uh, Ricardo going around the outside, you know, trying yeah. to trying to get a spot, and uh, Hamilton, his tires were a little bit colder than he thought, maybe, yeah. and uh, he was turning, and it just ended up that he barged in yeah. a bit. Hey, look, Lewis, Lewis had a bad day. We just put it down to that. Like, personally, it's a racing incident. Um, I think he probably should have been a bit wiser about how cold and shit his car was from the actual proper start, um, where he did the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but this is just one of those things. Um, yeah, look, you, you can't blame either. Obviously, you can't blame Ricardo for trying to pass on the outside. Yeah. Because that's what Formula One's about. Yeah. Um, and I think. Um, Maybe it was just a little bit of Hamilton misgauging how much grip he had. Yeah. Plus, you also saw, they sh- they talked about it on the broadcast for Sky, um, how Ricardo set that move up from the restart, yeah. where yeah. he took the straightest line coming down to the straight and just stuck right on Lewis's gearbox, because he doesn't have yeah. the, the advantage on power, but with no DRS, he's yeah. got the advantage of going around the outside of that corner, which is exactly what he did. Yeah. And um, he, he seemed to have two favorite lines for taking around that corner. He did do that outside move. Or he'll do the move, which um, he did on Nico a bit after. But um, with, the, with the Hamilton one, I thought it's just a race incident. I think you sort of keep on going. Yeah, and um, Hamilton compounded that issue when he went wide a couple of turns later with Kvyat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the funny part. You saw Hamilton leave the track. Like, Kvyat is on the outside. Yeah. Hamilton leaves the track, and I think they were both leaving anyway. But he kind of may have pushed um, Kvyat wider without actually being in the same sort of um, part of the track, if you get what I mean. Like, yeah. uh, he came across, but uh, it seems like Kvyat went wide just in case he was going to take over his nose. Yeah. Um, and then they both floored it, and it turns out Kvyat had set up the inside line for the next corner. But uh, you couldn't say he got advantage by going off track, because Hamilton was off track as well. 
Yeah, but I think they might have got a penalty for that one. Was that one or another one that Kvyat got the penalty for? I think it was that one, actually. Yeah, but, uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't um, with the... Because they both overtook someone who they were passing as well. Because it wasn't just them two in that corner, wasn't that's it? That's right, was yeah. two more people. Yeah. And I think because they took that outside line um, off the track, and people sort of forget that even though they're always going to get past the people that did get past, they're still racing them. And so yeah. because going off the track gave them that advantage, I'm pretty sure uh, Kvyat got the 10-second penalty, which made zero difference to his end result. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was funny that uh, Hamilton came out of this with a four-point advantage in the... Um, four-point increase in advantage yeah. in the Drivers' Championship. He'd still say he had a bad weekend. But, uh, you know, if you can extend your lead in the WDC and have a bad weekend, you'll take those bad weekends over the shitty ones. Exactly. And especially, like, that was a, an off day for Lewis, a really off day. Um, that we all, Everyone has them, so, you know, you, you're not really not bringing in any of his talent into question but he's had an off day and you'd be happy with if that's the result of off days with how bad it could have gone and I mean he's lucky that Nico ain't really the brightest kid going around no no he's he's a talented driver he's just a bit of a numpty he's not good under pressure no <laughs> he, he made exactly the wrong call yeah. he's like I'm going to override but my team your, yeah your entire team who has an entire fucking factory of people that they're paying good money to figure out your best way around here are all saying you need to be on the faster tyre and I mean it's not like it's a line call it's blatantly obvious yeah I mean to me it's like um, it's like overruling overruling a caddy like if you do it you better know you're right Mm -hmm. because otherwise the caddy's gonna be like really Uh, the five wood that right (laughs) out of the sand trap yeah no you're better off with a sandwich (laughs) smack over in the other sand trap yeah that's why you're better off with a sandwich dickhead Mm. but um Look, uh, if if Hamilton had a bad day, Rosberg had a fucking spectacular, spectacularly shithouse day. Um, things sort of progressed a bit further, and uh, you know it was good racing along without being uh, anything too spectacular. We saw Verstappen moving up the ranks nicely. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, uh, one of the other things that I thought was interesting was. Um Kimmy breaking cars again. Oh, he just got fucking that much bad luck. Uh, after all these incidents with his um, camera falling off, uh, eventually he lost his MGUH, MGUH, MGUK, current MGUK. He lost his MGUK um, component, which means he couldn't put the uh, the electric energy into his car to give it the extra extra boost, which meant that Fernando Alonso got to unlap himself and overtake a Ferrari. He, uh, he seemed to enjoy that too. Yeah, I thought that would have been, you know, it's life's about those small little wins, apparently. If you're not a former F1 champion, but... Yeah, and I think those two actually get along pretty well, uh, yeah. Alonso and Raikkonen. But um, Alonso is a competitive motherfucker, so he would have just eaten that up as as soon as possible. And I imagine he might have uh, reminded Raikkonen of it with their annual uh, summer poker game. Yeah, um, or they play badminton or some shit, isn't what Raikkonen loves? So the scare names love badminton for some reason. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm only saying that because I know he he plays it with um, Bottas, and I think Vettel joins in every now and then. But I think Raikkonen would be a brilliant poker player. Like he gives nothing away with his face. Yeah, but he'd probably just get hammered and you know, <laughs> fuck. I'm over it. I'm going to. <laughs> well, you know, when you can leave a poker game to your personal yacht. No, I go see bitches. <laughs> he he could do that too. Who knows? Either way, it'd be entertaining. I don't know, a Scandinavian or a Serbian accent, that one. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm covering hey, some bases. If listen to Kimmy, we'll play poker with you, but only twenty buck buy-ins because we're poor. <laughs> Especially by your standards. We play for shots. Here we go. <laughs> I think we'll probably still struggle. <laughs> He's Scandinavian. He can shot vodka like nuts. Yeah, this is true. But um, remember, because Kimmy, he broke 
Broke McLaren's like the or nothing as well when he was racing there. I still remember him going down the straight one time and his rear wing just disintegrated. Not that you necessarily say it's any of his fault, but it just seems to be the cars he's in. He just breaks. <laughs> oh, fuck. It would have been uh, interesting if Vettel had the same issue coming into the last couple of laps. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of Vettel, he, he had a great race. Like, he did. Uh, he rode, rode it well from out the front. Yep. Uh, commanded the race, which is what uh, what he does best. Yeah, and look, the safety car was an easy sort of situation to navigate for him. The, lots of people closing up behind him. Um, well, Nico made it a fuck ton easier for him by <laughs> choosing the slower tyre. But... Well, he did it very smart by going an extra lap around, knowing that the uh, safety car had to uh, catch him up. Yeah. And that way he was able to pit without the traffic. So yeah. while the virtual safety car was going around, yep. uh, other other drivers couldn't speed. They couldn't uh, catch time up. Yeah. So he was able to finish his lap, keep the gap, but have an empty pit lane, which uh, I think was genius. Uh, that would have more than likely been a call from the wall, but they got that 100% right. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Hamilton um, lost out a bit there. I think he got held in the pit lane just for a couple of seconds yeah, to, clear, to clear traffic. Um, can't remember who was coming out, but yeah, it was kind of awkward. Um, lots well, of Hamilton, stuff happening. So. Hamilton got double stacked. Uh, he backed off initially. Yeah because he didn't want to be stationary, but he's still backing off and losing time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we saw, you know, everything happened in the last five laps, really. It was brilliant. Yeah. Even before that, with um, there was a really good battle between Hamilton and Ricardo uh, the first time, the clean overtake. Um, yeah. Hamilton obviously got a faster car, but Ricardo, it was in his best interest to try and keep behind him as long as he can to try and use up his tyres, use up Hamilton's mm-hmm. tyres and get him at, set at the end. But um, I thought uh, Ricardo did a very good um, sort of mature six or seven laps where you don't sort of react to what they're doing behind you. You just drive that straight line, yeah. um, make sure you can make a really wide car, and you want to make sure you get the best exits you can. And it ultimately undid him uh, on that last one. But, you know, I think those six laps or seven, whatever he managed to keep behind, were really good driving, especially in a car that's definitely inferior. Yeah, and especially with tyres that were older. Um, yeah. He did, you know... I'll plainly put my hand up and say I'm I'm a big Ricardo fan. But, oh, we're uh, completely biased. I thought he did spectacularly keeping Hamilton behind in the way that he did. He wasn't yep. trying to make his car seven cars wide. Yeah. He was just trying to pick the prime line and tell Hamilton, if you're good enough, make it around. And in the end, he was good enough because yep. Hamilton's a good driver and a brilliant car. Yeah. So, uh, and he, he did that pass very clean, yep. um, which is something that Rosberg could have learned from. But, uh, yes. Anyway, um, we might as well go into the Rosberg, Rosberg well, yeah. incident. Um, there was, it was funny that uh, there was some controversy about this. Yeah, because uh, well, the move into the corner, um, Ricardo was following Rosberg for a while and couldn't quite get a move to stick. Yeah, uh, he'd poke his nose in and then Rosberg had shut the door, which he's entitled to do. Yeah, no doubt at all. But in this one, he's done a dive bomb, uh, a Kobayashi special. Yeah, uh, Takuma Sato would have been watching that and going, my boy. Yeah. But, um, so we saw the big dive bomb, and he's managed to lock up the inside two tyres, use that to turn, and stick on the track. Now, that is a spectacular move. I don't know how the fuck you do it. Well, um, the thing is, it was, I think, just because he was that far back, that actual move, the line he took, made it look way worse. But the thing is, that's the exact same line he did to overtake Bottas at the start. Mm. Um, well, not at this first lap, but when he did overtake Bottas. If you go back and watch it, that was the exact same line he took, and he managed to keep it on the track. The difference was he was close to the Bottas, so Bottas had no mm. chance of coming back. But if, you got, like, if you're still on track, you've got a right to be on the track. Yeah. So you can't just step across and 
actively try and push someone off the track. And I mean, it's kind of a similar incident to what happened with Hamilton and Rosberg uh, last year. But the thing is, they're teammates. And so number one rule is don't crash into your teammate. And so mm. in that situation, the onus is on you to kind of back off a bit or give each other room. But in this one, you got to guard your part of the track. And if someone's cutting across, you don't, you don't take your foot off the accelerator for nobody. Well, the thing is, you can't. And uh, looking at uh, that incident in slow motion, you actually see that as um, Rosberg straightens up, he flicks to the left and you know to the outside of the corner where Ricardo is. Yeah. And it's just that momentary flick, but it moves him across enough to take the wing. Yeah. And if he had have straightened up and kept going, in another tenth of a second, he would have been yeah. far enough to head that he could have moved across. See- but as it was, he wasn't. He moved into where Ricardo was. And to me... It's probably one of those um, 70-30 things. Like, Ricardo could have backed off, absolutely. But why would he when when he's in a race? And also, uh, he doesn't expect Rosberg, who's fighting for a championship, to be dumb enough to crash into him. And to be honest, I think that um, Rosberg just sort of underestimated how sticky that Red Bull is around a corner. I I think he didn't expect that Ricardo could have had that move and still stayed on the track. Maybe so. Um, in which case, that's bad racer's in- instinct. Yeah, well, I mean, you see that car just about every fucking day. <laughs> you should know how it drives because, you know, you're fucking watching every day. And especially because the next t- next turn is a right. Yeah, yeah. So Rosberg could have kept that. I mean, he, he wouldn't... He would have had to have shut the gate on the outside because the turn after that's a left. Yeah. But absolutely, he could have kept that line. He would have been vulnerable to the next corner. Yeah, but being vulnerable and getting past are two different things, and also you're in a chance for a world championship yeah, champ. Yeah, like uh, you could go into the break ahead. Yeah, you could have, or at least had a much narrower gap. But instead, gets a puncture, back yep. in the pack. Um, I'd love to say he'll learn from this, but he won't. He's no. not going to learn from this. Well, it's just sort of so conflicting because he tries to play the safety game by following Hamilton's strategy, and then there's something as stupid as that. Yeah, look, um, I. Honestly, I I don't see Rosberg ever being a world champion. Yeah, because I, I think he's not he doesn't have that instinct or sort of craziness to be the craziest and the best, and he's not sort of the smartest to be the smartest. Well, not to mean like the the crazy guys are the ones with the the talent that they believe in their talent above all else. Yeah, kind of like sometimes Alonso. yeah, sometimes beyond logic. Yeah, um, I think Maldonado believes in his talent above all else, but uh, yeah. he's wrong. Um, I think Maldonado's like the Tokinio of. The, <laughs> the Polaris. One. Yeah, Polaris, <laughs> Formula yeah. 1. Yeah, oh, jeez. But um, I think uh, you've got talented drivers and smart drivers. Like, you look at the two I always go to, are, uh, Elaine Prost and Anton Senna. Anton yeah. Senna was by far the most talented driver to ever have a wheel. Mm. Uh, Prost, to me, was by far the most intelligent. Yeah. Um, Schumacher was probably the second best in both categories. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, by, you know, by my personal opinion. So, you know, if you yeah. think otherwise... Good. I Write guess. us a letter. Yeah. Um, address www.fuckoff.com. Um, <laughs> .au. <laughs> but um, those guys who just have that crazy talent are brilliant to watch. And the smooth guys, not so much, but you know what you're going to get. Yep. To me, Rosberg has neither. He's not super talented enough that he can get away with shit that you go, how the fuck did he do that? Yeah. And yeah. he's not super mechanical and smooth enough like a Schumacher who'll just grind people down and he'll yep. just take those extra thousandth of a second a lap and just pull that gap tinier, tinier until the, the guy in front loses uh, his cool and makes a mistake. I think he's not as um, sort of uh, vicious as Schumacher, unrelenting, you know what I mean? Where, Cunty, you mean? Yeah, that's what I'm going for. He's just a bit of a, you know, whinger. 
kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where, why isn't it going my way? Where Schumacher's like, it's going my way today. Yeah, I mean, fuck what happens. The quotes you get about Nico are always, uh, Nico, unable to explain why he's losing qualifying. Nico, unable to explain yeah. why he's losing in races. Yep. Nico, un- un- unable to explain lack of pace. Yep. Well, here's an explanation, champ. You're just not quite good that's enough good, yet. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say he can't be. No. You know, he's got... Uh, the fastest team in the world. He's got the most support. His dad was a world champion. Yep. So, you know, maybe ask for some information, ask for ideas, and work your ass off. Yeah. Um, and if that doesn't work, well, you just don't have the talent then. And also, Mercedes have got um, Pascal Verlaine as their young driver. He's done really well in testing and done good in his own category. Um, so if if Hamilton's definitely the out and out number one if he wins this championship, which you have to assume that he is, oh, yeah. I don't I don't see why it's not in Mercedes' sort of longevity based sight to put a young driver in there and give him a crack. Yeah, imagine um, you get your, like, your young driver to learn directly from Lewis. It's it's pretty fucking advantageous going in the future. See, to me, Lewis is one of those guys that is talented. Um, he's not the smoothest driver by any means, which, yeah. again, this race has shown, but he is one of those guys that can pull off those amazing moves. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem with Lewis is the British commentators. Yeah. Uh, that's all we ever hear. Uh, where's Lewis? What's Lewis doing? How's he, who's, he, who's in his pit box well, this week? That's kind of half the reason why we decided to do Formula 1 sort of podcast, because he's just sick of the biased English um, uh, English bias. And the thing is, I don't have... I don't, everything against them for doing it because that's their guy and of course you can do that but we want other options you know what I mean and if you're the official broadcaster across all the countries we don't have a choice you know we've got no choice mm. on what, what country we get so we like it to be a bit even but just show yeah. the English you, you buy stuff and that's plus, absolutely fine I don't care which Kardashian he's fucking especially not while the race is on plus we're two one down in the ashes too so you know sentiment amongst the English not good at the moment either <laughs> yeah, well, maybe Australia win 3-2, maybe. I Actually, know. I think I claimed we were doing a cricket podcast for the Ashes until we lost the first test. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll wait and see how it all plays out. Then we'll yeah, do a wrap-up. We'll do a post-Ashes wrap. <laughs> but, I'll um, tell you what, if, if we go down, we'll just get hammered and do a um, post-Ashes yeah, test. Yeah, we'll do a boonie podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, gone on a fucking tangent there, but we'll move it back into that... Uh, with that incident, um, I say having a go at the English is never off. <laughs> or the Germans, but yes, um, yes, it's true. When Rosberg got the flat, you just see him going puncture, puncture, and uh, yep. <laughs> you see the team just <laughs> head in hand, yep. just going, "You fucking dickhead!" But um, it was good to see Toto Wolf come out and said, "No, nah, definitely not Nico's fault." And Nico said, "Yeah, definitely not my fault." And everyone else said, "No, it is definitely your fault." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and Hamilton comes out and said, "Everything that happened was my fault." <laughs> so, yeah, kind of a different different attitudes in that team, and surprise, surprise, who's winning that battle? Mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, you're not there to make friends, but uh, it, they they help. Yes, especially when um, you you need them to win your championship. Yes, um, and again, I thought one of the other contrasting things that were shown was um, Ricardo and Kvyat. At the start, Kvyat uh, had flat spotted his tires, and Ricardo was right up his asshole. Yeah, and you know. They said, look, uh, Daniel, let uh, Ricardo by because he's going a bit faster than you are. And they did. Yep. And later on in the race, you know, Kvyat uh, managed to make that place back up. Yep. And that, that was fine. They did that, uh, I think it was Monaco as well. Uh, they yeah. told Danny to let Ricardo by. Yep. And then towards the end of the race, they said, all right, you know, he's done you the favour. Do it back. And yeah. he did. They said Ricardo had to hang out just before the finish line, have a beer, wait for Kvyat to catch up. And he's all right, there you go. There's your yeah. place. But that's... Uh, Ricard- uh, neither Ricardo nor Kvyat are 
going for the championship. That's yeah, exactly. And the team needs to well, at least try and take a bit of a chunk out of Williams' lead on them. Yeah, and I mean, the less bad pu- publicity Red Bull have, the better. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it was their their best weekend uh, of this season. They yeah. took out 33 points, and yep. the uh, the other one was Monaco, which is 22. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen if Ricardo hadn't have done that move on um, Rosberg, and he wasn't going to get passed, if they would have swapped places for the podium. Uh, giving Kvyat the podium? Yeah. Perhaps. That's a tough one for any driver to go, yeah, or I'll give up my, my podium. No, I'd, I still think that even if uh, Ricardo hadn't have got that move, he would have kept pushing, pushing, pushing until yeah. there was a move available. Oh, look, I don't think Red Bull would have done that because I, I think that's just a way too harsh. Like, you let pass, and the thing is, in that that, that uh, situation where they got Kvyat to let him pass, Kvyat, they were telling Kvyat, look, you got to hurry up, you're holding up um, Ricardo, mm. and he goes, yeah, but I'm stuck behind whoever was in front of him. And then Bottas, I think. Bottas. And then as soon as Ricardo got past Kvyat, he overtook Bottas. So, yeah. so if you're stuck behind Bottas and Ricardo overtakes him, it means says stands to reason that he's faster. Yeah, and you're still stuck behind Bottas anyway. Yeah. And then he was talking like a Dalek. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was funny with the uh, Ricardo and um, Rosberg crash or you know incident or whatever you want to term it. Yep. Um, Rosberg was all over the track on the way back with a flat tyre, which is what's going to happen. But mm. uh, when they brought... Ricardo in. It seemed like a very long stop. Yeah, it seemed a bit um, tardy getting out there and changing the wing. Yeah, it, um, and the funny thing was they they did the wing first, then the tyres. I would have thought you'd do them all at once, but um, or then again they did say they had problems with the jack. So who knows? I, I imagine it will be tricky because generally they use the the jack on the front wing. Yeah, uh, to bump it up. So I imagine there's a a secondary tertiary or whatever jack yeah. that they use. Um, but it, it did seem weird to bring him in at all. Yeah, and I was kind of thinking the same thing. Was there a case to stay out there? But then I was thinking from the team point of view, their main concern is getting that 2-3 finish. Yeah. And, and if ensuring that means that the drivers have to swap places because of pit stop, they couldn't give a shit, to be honest. And that's that's exactly the way they should be doing it. Yeah. Um, it would be different if, again, if uh, Ricardo's going for a championship or something, yeah. uh, you'd, you'd probably risk it. But as it was... They're on track for their best finish of uh, 2015. Yeah. So, to me, I think you're right. I think it was uh, playing the percentage. There yeah. might have been a bit of loose carbon fibre on the front wing that they would have It risked. was flapping around a lot. Yeah. You can um, see parts were still half-connected and definitely potential to slash that front right tyre. Yeah, and they probably would have thought that. You know, if he gets a puncture, yeah. um, you know, he, he's going to be struggling like uh, Rosberg was. So, bring him in. There's no one... No one's going to take a spot off him. Yeah. Because he's got enough of a gap. Uh, promotes Kvyat but uh, you know which at the end of the day it's a, it's a 2-3 I think it's just a nice little way to tie a bow around that whole situation and the whole race for Red Bull if mm. that makes sense mm. like you finished off with Ricardo saying no, I'm not happy with third I'm going for the win no matter what and you managed to make amends for letting Kvyat through and you got the 2-3 finish um, going into the break to give you a bit of motivation going you know, back in the factory when you're doing your developments so I think for Red Bull it's really a nice way to, to put a bow around that race Hmm, absolutely. And uh, the other thing, too, Verstappen finishing fourth. Yeah, yeah. And they were lucky that the signs retired, didn't he? I can't remember yeah, what happened yeah. with him. But um, he was definitely up there and fighting and, no, he and had looking a, he, he had a fucked engine. Yeah. I think they were like fucked engines, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's got a Renault. Well, that was the funny thing. The first time in the top five, you'd have three Renaults. Yeah. Um, and no Mercedes in the top five. And two McLarens, I think. Or uh, one, one McLaren. One McLaren. 
One McLaren for Fernando in fifth, and uh, obviously Patel being the other in Ferrari in first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you had a Russian Mercedes, and then Button managing to sneak in for uh, a two-pointer, and mm. then Marcus Ericsson, who hasn't had uh, the best of seasons, but certainly hasn't had the worst one either. Yeah. I mean, he's just... I think Sauber this year are kind of happy to stay out of the news. They just want to put their head down and try and win some points and go about it. Yeah, I think... Uh, um, halfway there. I think Ericsson and NASA have done pretty well. Yeah. Um, obviously, NASA, yeah. with the 10 points in the first round, has yeah. really uh, set a, a mark for Ericsson to catch up on. Mm. But uh, Ericsson's not doing too bad. Like, Sauber aren't going to win races. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. They don't have the car. Yeah. But they're still doing quite well. I think NASA's on loan from Williams as well, isn't he? Isn't I believe they, so. They stuck him in that in that seat, um, doing a great job. And um, Williams, you know, with a good little driver on their hands, I think. Yeah, I think maybe... If indeed he is still staying at Williams. Well... I just think they want to avoid having NASA and Massa in the same place. Like, yeah. from Brazil, Felipe Nasa. From Brazil, Felipe Massa. It's, yeah. like, it's just going to be too confusing. Yeah. Just don't do that, please. Filipino and... Filipina. <laughs> uh, there you go. Philip, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, it does a clean. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is um, McLaren. Uh, Honda came out and said that this is the first time they could run full power on at some point of a race weekend. It wasn't during the race, but at, at some point that weekend, they ran full power on their uh, electric component of their power unit. And they, when they were playing PlayStation. Yeah, I don't know when it was, but they'd come out and said because they could put a little bit more power down, um, it allowed uh, a little bit extra downforce, which obviously is always going to be better. You can't have that downforce if it, you don't have the power behind it because yeah. you have a negative, negative effect. But so... It's not looking great, but these little improvements have got to be little boxes that are ticked off on the way to, to getting up to the top again. Well, yeah. I mean, they were fighting with Williams and Sauber, uh, yep. whereas previously they were fighting with Marussia. Yeah. Um, yep. Which, uh, if you're a McLaren involved in any way, uh, whether you're the driver or a pit crew, or if you're the bloke that just handles the uh, invoices. Well, they had a really big battle at the start of the season yeah. with lap two. You don't want to be fighting with Marussia. I'd rather be fighting Marussia than trying to fucking finish second lap. Well, yeah, that too. But, um, yeah, no, all in all, fantastic race. Um, props to Vettel. He he drove the perfect race for where he was. Yep. And just controlled it all. And, you know, great to see Kvyat and Verstappen with good results and Alonso back in the results as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, lots of positives and a great spectacle, I thought. One of the, I thought it was the best race this season so far and maybe even from last season as well. I can't remember exactly, but... I'll go with that. Yeah, no, it was a fantastic race. Yeah, it's always fun during the, um, the summer break because while they're not allowed to work on cars or on apparently anything revolving around them, they can certainly work on the media. Yeah, exactly. And, um, well, a lot of the media wraps up for the summer as well. I know you saw Joe Soward say he's wrapping up his um, blog for the summer, which is, you know, just... We don't get to hear about his complaints about visa issues in all the countries he gets to travel while commentating yeah. on Formula One. Poor bastard. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Life's uh, tough. Huh? Well, he's one of the few uh, full-time Formula One reporters. That's all he does, is report on Formula One. Yeah, he's all right. And um, I still give him shit, though. <laughs> Absolutely. He's living life. Yeah. But um, a lot of the other guys tend to report from home kind of thing, so they still yeah. need uh, articles. So they they reach out to the teams and say, you know, anything you guys want to throw our way? Um, yeah, I just don't go much on his posts about how bad it is to sit in a visa line in china or whatever the fuck he is this week for <laughs> for covering us motor race yeah I, I i 
don't watch postcards for that reason. Yes, but the English love a little complaint here and there of a cup of tea, so... They usually love a line-up, too. More power to them, yeah. But, um, anyway, I, I did see a great headline um, from Honda saying, uh, we didn't imagine F1 comeback would be so hard. Yeah, I did um, see that. You know, they thought, oh, we've had success in Formula 1 with McLaren before. Yeah. We'll just we'll pop back in, get, no, a, get a couple of world championships and fuck right off. So we, we won some championships in MotoGP. They got engines. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, they kind of had a rude fucking shock. Yeah, and like I said before, and like if you follow the, the F1 news, you definitely come across where Honda are, are definitive about learning themselves how to develop this engine because they said we can bring someone in and they can show us and they can do it, but then we don't learn and we can't put that into our road cars and we can't develop our own racing teams that we can spread across all different categories that we compete in, which is the right theory. It's just not the right answer for McLaren. Not for now. I yeah. think uh, going forward it'll be spectacular, especially yep. if they can find uh, another technical partner yeah um like for example if they joined up with williams as her uh, engine supplier yep uh williams is no way or shape looking forward to doing that so yeah you know yeah. I, to me that would be a perfect match yeah but uh, there's nothing in it for williams at the moment no not unless they can get those engines for free yep that would or be, even then maybe not well, the engines have to be up to spec yeah, that's it, because Williams have done very well gaining sponsorship, so um, they want to keep these good results going, and obviously you've got to spend money to make money, so mm. even getting them for free might not be the best investment. They might still lose money. And Williams are you know, developing the uh, electrical energy, the MGUK, yep. spectacularly. So, And they're just um, they're spending money smart. Yeah, but uh, I imagine plenty of car manufacturers are going to want to get a hold of I'm saying that based on fucking nothing I know (laughs) except for results that I've seen on what they're doing and how they're bringing their developments but anyway yeah well imagine there'll be a lot of car manufacturers wanting to get a hold of the sort of technology that Williams are able to develop at the moment yeah well even they're they're probably doing better in other categories with the technology that they've got with um, what do they do they do the stuff with Formula E Uh, Mm. they do stuff I think in NASCAR or Indy or one of the American categories yeah they do both and sort of leading worldwide technology in those fields as well uh, mm. sort of at, at the cutting edge and yeah it's more energy reclamation they're, uh, they're doing brilliantly from heat to uh, braking energy yeah. um, and even just simple not simple but complex um, electronic systems yeah um, they're making them reliable um, because you know we haven't seen one electrical failure that I can recall of this year uh, no. whereas last year we saw um, especially Red Bull had failures all over the shop mainly because they package their uh, curves too tight. I say at some point, at some part, starting the engine was considered a success. Mm. Um, but Honda introduces a new spec engine after this break as well. They're rolling out uh, new developments. Um, they've said they've got to concentrate on the IC, the internal combustion engine. Um, they did have problems with their electronic components and they said, like we said just before, they raced this weekend at some point with full, um, full power. Not in the race, at some point in the weekend. And I would have thought, coming into F1, having a good internal combustion engine, probably something worth spending some time on. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and but he said it's mainly like a follow-on effect. Like, you've got a, for the MGUK, it's attached to your turbine wheel. Mm-hmm. And so, the more power you try and generate from that turbine wheel, the more um, pressure you're going to put on your turbo, and the better chance there are, or more stress, I should say, and the better chance there are things letting go. So he said it was sort of a knock-on effect where they, they couldn't really perfect those parts of the electronic engine without having a, a fallen effect that just fucked their, their whole engine. Um, but he reckons that they've got a lot of that under control in regards to reliability. said that reliability is not a problem anymore, which you can guarantee they'll probably <laughs> not finish the next race. But if they 
they brought up some area, up, area upgrades as well to this race. And I think that little bit of extra confidence in their power and reliability allowed them to uh, bolt on a little bit extra aero. Um, I think it's all some photos of new mirrors that they've got. I'll, I'll slap them up on our website as well when I put up this podcast. And you can just see a different, te- different um, philosophy, almost like the front wing philosophy where um, on the left-hand side you'll see the, the new version where you can sort of see how they're trying to direct the air across the, the side pods. So you can, you can catch a sum into your radiators, but the rest of it you can try to be a bit more slippery. And so just the fact that they're uh, starting to be able to experiment with a uh, higher downforce setup and get good results is uh, sort of conducive to their following, uh, making steps to, to better themselves. Yeah, well, Lonzo came out and said that uh, the balance of the car is perfect. He, he loves the way it feels. Yeah. Uh, it's just the power that's uh, a bit shit. Yeah. And like, like Honda came out and said, if they want to win, they have to do something radical. They can't follow what everyone else has already done and win. And so it's just a matter of trying to, uh, first of all, have a feasible idea that's uh, radical, but yep. is it actually going to work? And look, from, all, from what I've read, they are on the right track. They tried some radical designs with how they integrated their turbo into their engine, about how they split it and where they put the engine UK. Mm. Uh, apparently, they were looking for... I know we discussed them possibly having like an axial turbo. They said it's yeah. kind of like that, but not really. They said they just want to try and make it as straight as possible and as efficient as possible, which means they can make it smaller. So instead of a turbo where you'll suck the air in, put it in a circle, and spit it out at pretty much more or less a 90-degree angle, they just want theirs to be sort of as straight as possible, so you're not spinning like out a, at a 90-degree angle. Like more corkscrew. Yeah, yeah, more or less something like that. Um, interesting. I, yeah. I can see the logic of that. Yeah, I mean, it's way above my technical understanding of, of engines and turbos and anything above that. I'm just sort of repeating what I've read. But, um, yeah, in my retired brain, it makes complete sense. So, yeah. Well, it, you know, the problem with that is if you have a radical idea, uh, you can sometimes get stuck into it. Yep. And uh, it's too late to get off it. I mean, a good example is the, the Wankel rotary engine. Yeah. Um, brilliant engine. Uh, yep. Mazda stuck with it and stuck with it. Yep. And no one else was developing it. And then it died. Yeah. Um, so much so that I think the new RX-8s don't actually have the rotary. Yeah, probably not. Um, I wish they'd make an RX-7 with a rotary. That's such an interesting engine, too. I think it's a brilliant engine. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, apparently when they let go, they really do let go. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to have a little RX-7 racetrack race car or something oh, like that. Oh, nice FD. Sweet. Those things are beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I wish they'd make more of those. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it's been shown by the GT86 that... Toy Baru did. Yeah. That uh, a nice, fun rear-wheel drive is a great car to have. Yeah. But uh, well, anyway... Toyota's so, getting a bit old these days, so... <laughs> well, yeah, and Alonso agrees. He likes the, the feel of the McLaren Honda, yep. uh, or the McLaren half of the McLaren Honda. Yep. He just thinks it's the Honda that's got to sort things out and get shit in order. And he has said that he's losing interest in this F1 shtick. Um, it's not so much a driving category anymore. It's pretty much being a strict... Um, manufacturer. Manufacturer. Uh, category, so wouldn't be surprised if he got tempted to do a few outside um, races or well, he negotiate wanted, a contract. He wanted to do Le Mans, and yeah. they said no. Exactly, and yeah. you'd have to think he would have been quite vociferous about it because he does love a race. I, I would have thought with two world championships and arguably the best driver on the grid, no is not something you really want to hear. Yeah, plus when McLaren's doing shite, um, you know, the only up for McLaren is they've got Alonso. Yeah. Um, that's the only people, reason people would turn up in uh, McLaren kit. Yep. Um, well, and uh, Button's family and girlfriend slash wife, whatever she is at the moment, Mitchie mm-hmm. Um But yeah, speaking of not really turning up, Rosberg, he, uh, he's come out and said he's not quite sure why he's not qualifying as well yeah. as Lewis. Um, when, when a driver says, I can't explain the gap, yep. surely that then 
must mean that the gap is a result of talent and or ability or maybe just being on. And the thing is, if there's one thing that every driver is good at, it's excuses. Oh, shit, That's yeah. It's a fucking shit-ass excuse. That's just saying, I can't even come up with a reasonable excuse. I'm just yeah. saying, I've got no idea. Well, that's what I mean. Like, you, you can't say it's a team issue because yeah. qualifying is all about the driver. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, you could say, oh, I was blocked on my prime lap maybe once or twice during the season. Or oh, this happened here, this happened there. That's fair share of blocking too. Yeah, exactly so. Um, Monaco a couple of, a year back definitely comes to mind there. Mm. But um, when a, a driver who is almost as good as excuses as he is at driving is out of excuses, yeah. you got to look at yourself. And it, actually, he did have a minor excuse. He said um, he... He's been working to improve, improving his racecraft. Yeah. And that might have slightly compromised the qualifying a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm no F1 driver. I don't pretend I am. Actually, I do no, sometimes. I, I lie, if, I do. If, I'm, if I'm at the front of the traffic lights when they're red, that's like a starting grid for me. I'm a fucking F1 driver. Just <laughs> waiting for that motherfucker to turn green. Oh, yeah. If I'm on Reddit, I'm totally an F1 driver. Um, you know, absolutely. I pretend to be one. But um, for, for this... When like, I'm not an 18-year-old girl. <laughs> it's, it's entrapment. <laughs> But um, for this, it's uh, I would have thought racecraft involves driving fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in modern Formula One, where qualifying is more than half the race. Look, I, I think straight up, what's hurt Rosberg so much this year is the um, the shitness, the, re- the reduction of what the teams let it tell you in regards to how to drive. I think he was very good at being in a great car and then being told where he's slower and be able to prove that. So Lewis is faster you through this corner. And mm. then he goes to that corner and then he improves it. But now, where they're not allowed to, I think that's where he's struggling because he can't figure out for himself where he needs to be quicker. You might actually have a point there, um, which is oddly enough for our podcast. I know. We've got, we got a couple. <laughs> I mean, it's a matter of just you throw enough shit out there, some of it sticks. Well, yeah, you, you know, it's not even shines on a dog's ass some days. Yeah. But um, I, I do think that might be correct. Uh, you know, obviously, in between qualifying and the race, yeah. they're going to be sharing information. But yeah. uh, do you reckon Hamilton does some sneakies it's like oh yeah no all i do i uh i really plant the foot into the brake <laughs> and the accelerator at the same time and i find that works really well it's like a cheat code tote like serious nico try B, a twist <laughs> down, the multi down, up, up, left right left, left right um, and actually jensen button came out and said that they should take all the data away from the drivers for the race um he said like through qualifying um practices go for it yeah to communicate as much as you want but for the actual race come out take away tyre sensors um, actually I don't know if he said a tyre sensor could have been someone else but anyway I tend to agree um, let them race because at the moment it is a flat out manufacturing constructor race where if you've got that car um, you're going to win see I, I don't think removing the telemetry is the answer because to me that that uh, keeps things on even keel if you can tell where you're losing tyre pressure you can see there's a slow leak so you can bring the car in to me that's okay Um for my money, I think they'd be better off removing the engine modes. So you go in there with one engine mode, yeah, and that's it. Like you can't turn the wick up, turn the wick down, save yep. fuel here or there. If you want to save fuel, you lift off. You don't uh, change to a different engine mode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that would test a driver much more. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in a much more entertaining way. Yeah. So drivers will always have that speed on hand. It's yep. whether they can control themselves and the car. What about um, if a uh, because. I, I agree. I'd like to see both of them trial to see what works, which sort of, I just thought of that. Um, what about if they had like a pre-season akin to friendlies in football where you can have your 
you know, three days or whatever at Hareth or in Abu Dhabi. And then you just have a friendly race afterwards. So you can sort of try all different rules that you could or couldn't bring into the legitimate main season. Yeah, I'm going to give you two good reasons why that wouldn't happen. Okay. One of them's Pasta. The other one's Maldonado. Yeah, well... Um, he doesn't do friendlies. And I think if you said, it's just a friendly race, there would be probably 27 wrecked cars because some drivers would go back in another car, come out again. And he would be mad maxing that motherfucker through. Yeah, but you don't have to pick him to do practice. No, that's the thing. If you were... If you were uh, Lotus, you totally would. You'd be like, holy fuck, we're going to knock these guys out for the whole season. <laughs> They're going to lose $10 million on today alone. <laughs> They'll send him out there in like the 2000 model car or something. <laughs> Bumpers all the way around, reinforced Kevlar, yeah. fucking things, machine guns on the front. Actually, that could be brilliant. Have machine guns on the bastard. Actually, I saw someone posted, it might have been on F1 Technical, a picture of... Um, a Mad Max version of the Lotus car. Yeah, they, they made that uh, for the launch of the Mad Max movie, and I liked it. I thought it looked good. <laughs> and the thing is, just all the comments, oh, passenger car, is it? <laughs> yeah. like, it was just one variation, uh, different variations of the same pasta joke, and a lot of it well played. I can imagine pasta going, fucking rude bastards, but actually I kind of like that. I might, <laughs> yeah. I might take that home, actually. We'll I'll, I'll do this. that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah bastards. Um, but yeah, I... <laughs> I just can't see Pasta ever ever getting over this tag. He, mm, yeah. he's <laughs> not as long as go. we've got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, but, moving on to Haas. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say. Um, well, speaking of different teams coming in, um, Renault has talked. Uh, the talk's been of them taking over either Toro Rosso or Lotus. Yeah. Um, and apparently now Toro Rosso haven't heard anything from them. Franz Tost has said, "Yeah, no, they make contact, and then we haven't heard shit." So you wonder if it's just Renault doing their due diligence and seeing how much uh, it would cost to buy Toro Rosso and yeah. then going to uh, Lotus and saying, well, you've got to beat this price or else uh, we'll go there. But the thing is, I think there's been a whole lot more value for Red Bull to hold on to Toro Rosso after this year based on the two drivers they've got in there. But also their design, I think it's James Key's design in their car, done some really fantastic stuff. Um, they brought some really interesting aero and suspension upgrades to the Hungry Race. Um, I'll post a few photos up, but their, mm. their rear suspension um, assembly is quite quite unique in what they've done, where they've got it fed in through um, sort of the uh, cooling holes at the back of oh. the uh, engine cover. I'll try and bring it up on my computer. Um, they were... Here it is, rear, rear assembly. Yeah, I'll put these up on our website. I'll credit whoever um, put them up on F1 Technical. But yeah, you can see where they'll come in from the cooling exit and it's got sort of a more sort of circular uh, bent area where I'm guessing it has some sort of error advantage. And you couple this with the interesting design of their rear exit, um, rear exhaust exit that they've done where they've got the um, central support pillar of the rear wing going through the middle of it. Mm. And like most teams had um, bigger monkey seats as well, but... They're even their, their rear wing. I love how it's called a monkey seat. Yeah. I think they call these ones gorilla seats because they're like, huge <laughs> fucking ones for this race. But even their rear wing, it looks like you've got a rear wing and you've sort of folded it in half and then in half again, in half again, and put some cuts down a couple of sides of it and then unfolded it. And that's your rear wing. Yeah. It's got slots all over. I don't even know how it's still structurally held together. No, it's a, it's a weird looking one, but uh, Toro Rosso have had some good results. Like they've been pushing the the big sister team quite heavily yeah I think a lot of it is the sort of combination between having good young talent isn't scared and the designers are doing a fucking fantastic job I'm not scared to try new things and might be a team uh, directive as well we've got two race teams have you guys experiment a little bit and get a bit crazy but I think it might just be out and out James Key's skill as a designer and so mm. I think you 
if Red Bull get rid of the Toro Rosso team, you might not be able to hold on to that sort of talent. Because I think he definitely should be a leader team in design. I don't think you could slot him into the Red Bull fold. Mm. Well, if you were buying Toro Rosso, you'd want the staff. Exactly. Because yep. they've uh, punched above their weight yeah. this season, uh, yep. especially with two brand new drivers, one of them 17 years old. Yeah. So you'd have to think they're not really involved in development so much. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Verstappen still was playing with Skeletrix up until last year. Yeah. Or at least on PlayStation. I don't know. What, what do kids do these days? Yeah, Fuck. I don't know. What are they, yeah, they got all sorts Probably of... playing with Lego. Shit. Which I still play with Lego. Fuck it. It's, Lego's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really can't see why you'd pick Lotus over Toro Rosso, but I can... I can definitely see Red Bull wanting to uh, pick the best of Toro Rosso. Yeah. But I can't see Red Bull finding an engine supplier if Renault bow out. Like, Red Bull will get one. They'll get either uh, Honda, uh, Aston Martin, slash Mercedes, which is looking like it probably won't happen. But if Aston yeah. Martin and Mercedes did want to come in, they would do that. Uh, Ferrari, I can't see supplying either team. See, I'm, I'm picking a sleeper team's going to come through, and they'll be the serious bid. I reckon there's going to be any of the ones that have been that have been sort of bandied around. I reckon you you might see well not a lot like bandied around. Obviously, it's going to be one of them, but none of the main contenders. I think it's a bit of a smokescreen for what's going on in the the backdoor dealings. Well, not backdoor dealings. That's a bit rough, isn't it? And if well, you engine that way, well, you might. I don't know. Depends. Well, the the ideal situation for Red Bull would be to have the the main team with a Mercedes engine, and maybe uh, Toro Rosso pulling in a Honda. Yeah, yeah, it's actually because it would mean that Toro Rosso have got a hungry engine supplier and yep. a hungry design team. And you never know what can happen there because they're both experimental and both able to uh, try new shit and find, instead of playing catch-up, they'll try and leapfrog uh, this current generation and try and have the fastest car for 2017, 2018. Yeah, and also from a Honda perspective, it wouldn't be a bad thing to have a team that's not on uh, sort of any sort of pressure to win, which Toro Rosso are never going to be. Well, they, they're on pressure to get points. But uh, they're not on pressure for podiums. Yeah, podiums are a bonus. Not, they don't have McLaren pressure, let's be no. honest. No, I imagine there's been quite a few days where people have turned up to working uh, McLaren and known they're going to get their asshole reamed. Yeah, so I think, yeah, probably wouldn't be such a bad fit. I mean, as long as you don't stick it in the, in the Red Bull, because as soon as their engine's no good, you've seen what happens. Yeah, well, well there you go, Ron. Um, I've solved your problems as well. So you get on the phone to Toro Rosso, tell them you're going to supply them with the Honda. I've been telling Ron how to solve his problems all year, I think. Just fuck off and hire Ross Braun. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and Bernie, when you have problems, just give us a call and we'll sort them out for you too. Um, we're going to take a 5% fee, which uh, is cheaper which than is, bribing Germans. It's still, you know, a couple hundred million. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with uh, with driver movements as well, um, mm. after engine movements, you've got driver movements. Uh, Haas, they've talked about what drivers they're going to be getting in. Yep. And they've pretty much named everyone that's involved with Ferrari. Uh, Jean-Eric Verne, old Jeff, he's uh, been named. Gutierrez. Yep. Um, Nico Hulkenberg, all three of them linked with Ferrari. Um, out of those, surely Hulk's got to be your number one. Uh, with a Le Mans win and doing pretty well this season, I... I can't see him not being in the conversation. And the thing is, he's he's got a really great personality. He's funny, he's charismatic, he's a pretty mm. good-looking fella. I think he'll be an absolute superstar in America. I think if you got him into that team with his credentials as a, as a racing driver and just his sort of personality, I think it would be a really good fit for, for what they're trying to do in America. And I think he will, will be made into an absolute superstar mm. racing there. Yeah, and the Hulk. How does that exactly. not work? Um, the only problem I can see is that it would cost Hulkenberg a lot of money. Uh, simply because he's leaving Force India before he's gotten paid. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm beta, but I mean, your potential for sponsors in America in that, that sort of seat would be fucking massive because they're not sponsoring... Obviously, there's a fuck tons of cash in America for investment, like into, into motorsports, but they're not really investing into Formula One. Now they've got a home hero, one who they can sort of get behind and one who they can they can market. Plus, they've also got other racing series that they're involved in. So you can take Hulkenberg along to his NASCAR team and he gets some TV as well. Oh, yeah, F1 driver Nick Hulkenberg at the race today and they get five minutes on, on coverage. That's all they need. Um, that brings those fans across into what they're doing. Um, yeah, I think the marketability will be absolutely massive. Plus, also, his options for post Formula career would be incredible over there. Yeah. The the only weird thing I found was that the only name he didn't mention was uh, Alexander Rossi. Yeah, I did find that weird as well. Um, I, I thought he was number one, more or less. Well, if you're talking about marketability, having a local boy is mm. always uh, a smart idea. Yeah. Um, it's the only reason Scott Speed got a gig. Yeah. But, um, he was a wanker, wasn't he? Oh, he? He wasn't even as good as he thought he could have been. Yeah. Um, I got to be tempted to put Tanner Faust in there. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. In fact, I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't get American Top Gear involved. Yeah, especially considering how now they're the premier Top Gear brand. Yep. Um, and maybe James May will have a crack too. I don't know. It could be funny, but um, yeah, I I don't understand. Like uh, Alexander Rossi being an American and uh, being a quality driver, also having. Driven for uh, Caterham and Marussia, yeah. you know, as a reserve, um, you'd, you'd have to have had the conversation. Which these things often you often wonder uh, why they say them. Uh, yeah. To me, it makes sense if you're going to release names like Jev Gutierrez, Hockenberg, uh, yeah. if you're trying to drive prices down. Because but, uh, but this could only be spots for their number one driver as well. Like there could be the Rossi has already got the gig for their B driver, and they're looking for the number one. Yeah, true. Say, say that, that it's going to be two of these three driving the car. No, that's true. But even if it was, um, each driver named there would know that, all right, I'm in one in three chance. Yeah. So he's in one line established that uh, you drivers, you can't ask for top dollar. Yeah. Uh, And if there's one thing Formula One uh, teams, especially new teams, love, it's a bargain. Because uh, the other thing they don't like is paying bills. Yeah, and um, Gutierrez comes with a fuck ton of cash behind him as well. So I think if he gets a gig, that's the only reason why. It's because they're, they're the money. And I mean, there's a difference between... People say, you know, he's already run a race team. He's already got plenty of cash. I mean, there's having cash and then there's being able to compete in Formula 1. Yeah. Even Mercedes needs sponsors. Like, they can't do this shit themselves. You need good sponsors behind you to be able to do it. Yeah, when you can uh, lose money and still have... Uh, I think. $250 million worth of prize money coming at you. Yeah. Uh, you know it's an expensive gig. Exactly. I would love to see Jev have another, have another crack. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be so bad, but I'm, to be honest, I'm just over Jev. I thought he was just a bit of a dickhead when he was in Formula 1. I've liked him much better since he's been driving Formula E. But he was just a whiny little bitch when he was driving Formula 1, which gave me the shit. So it's kind of like, like Liuzzi when he was there. So... Oh, to yeah, me, I don't want to see he, him there again. He was a whiny bitch, but he had some points. Like, uh, really? He was... Well, he was very close to Ricardo. Um and if uh, Ricardo had been promoted to the the main Red Bull team and Vettel had to wipe the floor with him, then Jev could have been like, well, I would have done better, whatever. Yeah. But as it was, Ricardo came out on top and Jev was like, well, I could have done that too. And everyone's gone, yeah, but you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, who's to say? Jev might be, uh, might be worth looking at as a pure racecraft driver, but... Nico Hockenberg, I'd take him first. Yeah, but the thing is, it doesn't matter that Ricardo got that seat. If you're a good enough driver, someone else will hire you. No one did. No. So and, there's, uh, there's got to be something in that. And he didn't really set the world afire in uh, Formula E either. He did okay. But no. um, 
you know, he, he was never in contention for the championship, I don't think. Yeah. He was outside chance. Yeah. Um, but well, he did miss a couple of races yeah. too. But I think Haas are doing everything right. I really do. Um, I'm really excited about them coming to Formula One. I think they've managed to, well, they did. They got all the technology from Ferrari that they're legally allowed to get. They've got Delara building their chassis, which are very, very experienced in Formula One building chassis and also in Indy and all yeah, that sort of stuff. The official one there. Um, looking at, I think, right sort of drivers to, to get into that gig. And they've definitely got the experience. They've bought their base that they're going to operate from Europe from, which is uh, imperative. That's where a lot of teams have failed. And I think they're doing all the right things. So um, people said that Nico Hockenberg going there would be a step back. And it might be initially, but I think, I mean, I don't fuck all, but I've got a lot of faith in this halves team that they're not going to be as bad as any other newcomer that's come to Formula 1 in the last 20 years. Well, they did it the smartest way in that they got an engine supplier on board first yep. before they uh, locked in the money. Yep. Uh, before whereas, they started building a chassis. Yeah, whereas the other way around, they teams would start building a chassis and then yep. try and get an engine to fit it. Yep. Uh, the engine's part of the chassis. You need to have yep. the engine and build the car around it, not yep. have a car and try and adapt it to the engine once you get it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they've got the Ferrari engine too, so yeah, and it's on point. It's absolutely, it's a top-end engine. Yeah. Um, they have also played the media very smart. Um, yep. They're going to be able to get a lot of exposure for Ferrari in the US, which is why um, Ferrari want to be involved with Haas in the first place. Yep. Um, you can guarantee their drivers are going to be parading around in the new uh, Ferraris and everything with a Ferrari badge on it. Yep. Uh, it'll be Haas Ferrari. So... Right away, Harari. <laughs> maybe so. Um, maybe there'll even be a Haas edition. Who knows? Yeah. Depending on how they go, if they're coming last all the time, probably not. If they yeah. manage to get it for a sneaky point, maybe there will be. Yeah, Ferrari, yeah, Ferrari built a V8. Yeah. V8 stick a supercharger on it. Oh, beautiful. But yeah. um, I think they have handled their entry better than any team I've seen yep. since the 80s. And, um, I, and I've liked his attitude where he hasn't been arrogant at all. In fact, he's been the opposite. Like, even when he said, oh, I'm interested in going to Formula 1, put that out in the media, and Bernie came out and said, look, I don't think he's got enough money to compete in Formula 1. And Haas came out and said, well, you know, if Bernie says that, he'd know. So I, I thank him for his answer, and I appreciate him being honest, so I don't waste any of my time going down a road which is going to cost me heaps of money. And you think that right Bernie answer. got up and said, oh, no, maybe you can, maybe you can sort something well, out. Well, you right? know Bernie's always testing the waters like that. Um, yeah. Because... Most of the time, he's probably right. You don't have enough money, but it's your fucking fault that you don't have money to compete for me to one. He might have sent a card with a German banker he can call. Yeah, but then look what happens, you know. It opens up that dialogue, and what do you know? He's got his entry and doing very well with it. I think he's very, very switched on, very astute um, personal relations type of type of guy. Yeah, I do wonder whether he'll do uh, what Richard Branson did in the get the team up and running, have it uh, making some solid progress, and then look to sell off for a massive profit. Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, based on nothing, but I think yeah, you're you're a, a businessman um, like Branson who's got into racing, but I yeah, think true. Haas is a racer who got into business. Then again, if Penske decided to make a big bid, he'd probably go for it. But uh, who knows? That's all supposition. Um, well, I mean, they got the um, IndyCar. Uh, racket going on with Haas don't they is it Pesky yeah. Haas yeah yeah so they probably buy into that team um, can, uh, sort of combine money and resources and see how you go it's probably not a bad idea actually either way it'll be interesting um, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is I'm just interested in that rivalry that um, uh, America versus whoever your team might be mainly Europe but that rivalry but it's it's only interesting if they're a worthy adversary if that makes sense yeah so they've got to be good and they've got to be they've got to inspire that sort of um on-track hatred from the Europeans across the Americans, but you leave it on the track. You don't actually, yeah. you know, hate them. 
but they've got to be good enough to hate, if it makes sense. Well, so. yeah, they need to be uh, podiums in the first five years kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Or else the team will die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of someone who's going to die, uh, Maldonado, I saw his media presser. What have you heard? <laughs> oh, he's uh, lamenting the uh, lack of upgrades. I think we talked about it in the race bit. Yeah. But um, he's saying, you know, there's been no upgrades since Monaco. You keep fucking breaking them, dickhead. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, when you've got blokes trying to make new parts and you keep smashing the old ones, they've got to replace your parts rather than work on the next generation. Yeah, or well, um, they can just replace the driver and it's done. Yeah, oh, that would be the best part to replace it anymore. Um, especially with Gutierrez looking for a seat, but then again, why would you go to Lotus? Um, if Renault do buy Lotus, they, there's no way known they'd want to stick with the same drivers. Nah, not a chance. Not a chance. And the thing is, as a manufacturer like that, um, you're not living or dying by how your F1 team goes. Whereas the Lotus, um, is this owned by the actual people who own Lotus? I've always forgotten how this played out with the Team Lotus and then the Lotus team through no, there. I know no. someone, someone owned the brand, but they're not directly related to the car manufacturer of Lotus, are they? No, are they? no one was. Yeah. Um, someone had permission to yeah. use uh, the Lotus Insignia. Yeah. And that was about as far as uh, anything got, as far yeah. as I'm aware. Because there was the pre-Caterham that was a Team Lotus or something, and then it turned into Yeah, there Caterham. was the uh, the people who claimed Lotus uh, through hereditary title, essentially, saying that, well, the team that was Lotus became this team, and then we bought that bit, and so, then now we're Lotus. Uh, okay. Whereas the team who... The people who actually owned the Lotus name... Yeah. Um, who have I've gone blank on? I think Colin Chapman started yeah, last, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Alan Colin Chapman. Colin Chapman, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. they owned the rights to Lotus Racing. So there was Team Lotus and Lotus Racing. Yeah. Um, and that's about as far as anyone cared because at one stage there was Green Lotus and Black Lotus and it was just dumb. Yeah, they were both doing shit so no one cared. Yeah. Um, but for my and money... the thing is, regardless, you're never going to choose the Green Lotus. You saw that yellow, uh, the gold and black, and you're like, that's Lotus. Yeah, I think uh, the British Racing Green is fantastic, mm. but the John Player Special Black and Gold, yep. that's just... Uh, it's car porn. It's, it's beautiful. Um, it's the best livery going around at the moment still. I forgot, I forgot what the point of that was. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about Maldonado. <laughs> um, and what would happen if they bought into uh, Renault? Oh, yeah, Renault Lotus. bought into Lotus. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I really... I, I can't see Renault sticking with... Um, Pastor Maldonado, at the very least. Uh, and, you know, Jeff, maybe he does get another crack at that through there. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a little French connection there, so maybe. Yeah. Well, the, the French do have a bit of uh, French pride. Yeah, got a bit of a bit of a history of just giving up, too. Yeah, a little bit. But, um, you know, speaking of interesting developments, we've got uh, Pirelli coming out saying that they're looking at a super, super soft uh, for 2016. It'd be fucking interesting... Uh, especially on the the tight tracks like in Monaco, because the the criticism was that in Monaco even the super soft it couldn't get enough heat into it, um, yeah, so yeah. cars are sliding a bit. Uh, if you'd think if you get a super super soft, it'll degrade quicker. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean it should. Um, I think it just I, I want to have more variability in tires, but have a open selection of what you can slap onto your car. Well, they're talking about too. Yeah, they're talking about that for 2017 as well. You're going to have uh, a much greater option coming into a racing weekend which I'm not sure how they're going to do it but uh, I imagine the most interesting way would be all right, here's uh, you've got 15 sets of super super soft 15 of super soft 15 of this like you've got a 
a split that you've got to use through the whole season. Yep. So if you want to go in one weekend with four sets of Super Super Soft, go for it. Yep. It means next race you've got none. Yeah, that's um, true. To me, that'd be interesting because you've got a plan for the whole season and then you're going to have the, the front runners who are going to be trying to win every weekend, so they're going to be quite strategic. Yeah. But the guys further back are going to be like, well, we're not going to win every weekend. Yeah. We're going to look at three tracks throughout the year where we're yep. going to try and podium and we're just going to put all our tyres into that. Uh, obviously, the downside is if you end up in a wall, then you've wasted your whole weekend. Yeah, and also if they changed up uh, their race weekend to include uh, a couple of points for qualifying or something like that, like we're talking about they did with Formula E. Yeah, points for fastest lap, I think, is a must, yeah. um, simply because it keeps the interest in the race towards the end. Because yeah. um, so often you see, especially when McLaren, uh, Mercedes are flying, uh, that's one, two, well ahead, there's a 35-second gap, so they can even get a puncture, get in, get the tyres back on and go out. Yeah, yeah. But... If there's even uh, one or two points available for faster slap, uh, championships decided by those gaps. Exactly, um, which yeah. is what we saw in Formula E as well. Um, but well, I think so we'll you have to push, it, and if you're we'll, pushing, there's a chance you make a mistake. Yeah, but also with the midfield race, it makes it interesting for that because it's a lot harder for them to get a point. So those one or two make a huge, much bigger difference to them than it would for, let's say, the leaders in that. Well, yeah, let's say you're you're running twelfth by fifteen seconds. Yeah. you're not going to catch points. Yeah. But what you can do is do a quick pit stop, put on some fresh new boots, yep. and go for that uh, one or two points of faster slap. Yeah. And again, same for um, qualifying. Pole position, I think, should be worth at least one point. Yeah. Because that means that uh, you really have to fight for that bit. And yeah. it, it increases the the payoff, but also the risk. So, <laughs> so often we're seeing guys uh, just sit in the pits. But how uh, interesting was, was the end of the Formula E season with all those variables at play with who wins the championship and it's all happening on track in real time. You have to calculate these all these different possibilities and all, all different strategies are on the table and they've got like, you know, 10, 20 laps to figure out what's going to be the best one. Yeah, that, that's a good point too. It would be uh, if Formula 1 do that uh, points for fastest lap and uh, pole, they need a heads-up display like Formula E do because their heads-up yeah. display is shit. Well, funnily enough, they just ran a competition um, for... I don't know if it was school kids or might have been just open to anybody about developing a new heads-up display for the pit wall and how you can get the information across. And if you, I can't remember which website, but it might need Autosport to put it out. Um, if I can find the story, I'll link it to, to our website. And it was really interesting what they came up with. Uh, I think third or second place was actually uh, Aussie fella. Um, come up with it but I think if you applied that same thing to the actual broadcast it'd be a really interesting and free way of getting a really good um, heads up display but also you can put it to a vote and actually see what your fans want to watch hmm. no, I, I think F1 does need to look at a lot more interaction but Bernie seems determined to drive the price of F1 down for some reason to be honest I mean he's done awesome things for one wouldn't be the same without him but we're kind of waiting for him to move on aren't we it's just what we're one all, way or another we're all sort of waiting for him that um, day He's and either going to find another project or he's going to nah, go nah. to that uh, he's, big he's, track in the sky. He's going to the big track in the sky. We're all going to pay our respects. We're all going to say this is definitely a uh, sport's amazing. Uh, he's done amazing things with the sport and he's brought it to what it is. And silently we're going to be like, all right, we can move on to the next evolution of, of this sport. So it's going to be fucking concerning though because uh, when the, when he lies in state, it's going to look like look a lot like my nana. Yeah, that's true. And also, I mean, he's... His money's all tied up in that many different fucking covers, and I think he's had a few wives and kids. It could just be absolute turmoil trying to claim his estate and who gets the fallout of his Formula One money, and there could be a big shit fight with that. So, well, no, I don't think any of it's coming to me, so I'm not too concerned. No, no, no. I, you know, tried to get his daughter's number. Didn't, didn't happen. No, you're better off getting a coke dealer. You'll see it that's, first. That's very true. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so that's what's going on in F1 at the moment. Um, yep. We'll have another primer once we come to the next race. Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen coming into the next race, though? Yeah. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, should be a, a massively uh, interesting part. Um, pretty much because, well, it was a great race in Hungary. Mm. And will, will that continue? Will we see other teams catch up? Um, you know, in theory, you can't work on the car during this break, but, well, let's be honest, there's uh, no way you can steal a, a pencil and a paper off every uh, person in the back office. Yeah. And so, I mean, there are teams that have already got upgrades in the works for Spa, so... Um, yeah. And yeah. Belgium's one of the most beautiful tracks around. Yeah. Um, you know, most famous corners and fantastic watch. Um, but yeah, we'll go through that a bit further next one, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yep. All right. Take care, guys. 